Welcome to the Modern Goat Rider Podcast. Tonight. We are here again, Tara. Yes, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we are, we're back at it. It's almost Labor Day. It's been fun, eh? This good summer. Great summer. And every time I, you know, someone says, what are you doing tonight? And I say, I'm recording a podcast. It makes me seem minutely cooler, which is oh, great. you are. Yeah. Tiny increments. And then I get a chance to, uh, tell people about odd fellowship who haven't maybe learned about it so it's been great for me and i think great for uh having an excuse to share the good word yeah uh, so when you're walking along you know you're out for a walk with your friends and you see somebody with headphones on and they're not talking to anybody they're just listening you think i bet they're listening to modern goat rider right now and they don't know that the host is walking right by them <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Secret celebrity. No, Secret celebrity. That. Ever. That's right. Ever. Welcome to the world of podcasting. <laughs> Never to be recognized. <laughs> Anyways, Bye, we're buddy. here um, yeah. doing a show. Uh, we got to meet an interesting person. You know what? I have to say, I mean, we have had um, both with me hosting or me listening, a ton of great guests on the show. And it was just really nice to hear Scott was, you know, articulate and you could tell he had such care about his craft with this book and um, just kind of, I was left with the inspiration to be a better person out of it. When he was talking about community and, and caring and all that, it was, it was really quite lovely. So um, I think people will get a lot out of this podcast. There's a lot of great information about the book itself, but just that sort of 30,000 view about um I don't know, just doing right by our community as an odd fellow, I thought was really nice. Yeah. He so seamlessly moved from kind of just talking to us. And then like he slips into this, this is what's really important kind of stuff. Like I, I can imagine what, you know, going through a, a coffee, whole coffee conversation with them can be like, is that he just seemed to drop these like really important things like right in the middle of a sentence. And it was like, wow, like that's what I'm going to give it away. Like he said, um, supporting your society and your community is a, is a, is a showing of love, like mm -hmm. doing, doing right for your community is showing love. And it was, he's just sort of talking about, you know, what we do and what his logic is. And then wham, like he throws that in there and it's like, yeah, he's right. It's more than, just FLT. And that's, and that's what this show is about is talking about his book, uh, think like an odd fellow. And it is the dive in past FLT. So if you're, if you dig FLT as an odd fellow member and you're trying to figure out, well, what does FLT mean? Like on a daily basis, it's in this book. Well, and the nice thing too, and you know, we get into that is that it's these very digestible chunks so if you are hearing someone speak about a book and you think, I don't really have time to read, you very, very likely have time to read this because the chapters are just common threads, but they can be read almost as separate essays. So it's more like you take a, that sort of pause for thought, read what is the book is 145 pages or something like that, mm -hmm. 170, less fewer than 200. Anyway, so you can just... Um, taken some snippets. And so if you're not a, traditionally considering yourself a big reader, then don't let that put you off because the book poses some really interesting questions in, in very layman's terms, referring back to older texts. Yeah. Just... Yeah. It's, it's, I'm, I'm only, I'm only a part way through it because as I, as I mentioned in the, in the discussion with Scott is that we, um, mm -hmm. we, it's meant to make you think. 
So it's it's not just how to think like an odd fellow. It's while you're reading this, you are going to think a lot. Um, and and hopefully everyone who does read the book and buys the book thinks a lot um, because that really would pay off great for how, uh, you know, uh, what what Scott reaches as, a, as an outcome and, and so forth. And if you go and you meet him and you tell him how great it is, he'll buy you a beer. <laughs> also the takeaway, you have to go to Arkansas, but that's cool. That's right. Try, if you're, you know, difficult right now with COVID is what I'm saying. Yeah, but apparently falls already. nice. It's not so hot. Yeah. Anyways, <laughs> we won't banter anymore. Let's get Scott Moyne on the uh, on the call with us. All right. Right. So we are uh, having the pleasure to speak to an author. I'm pretty sure this might be our first author for uh, Modern Goat Rider. Uh, so we want to welcome Scott Moy in Little Rock, Arkansas. How's it going, guys? Great. We're, thank you. We're good. Thank you. And so Scott wrote uh, this great book that is called Think Like an Oddfellow, Wisdom and Self-Improvement in the 21st Century Oddfellowship. And uh, we're going to let, we're going to unleash Scott. We're going to let Scott tell us about himself. We're going to have him tell us about the book. Uh, and then uh, we're going to dig into some other topic that it will be secret until we get to it. Okay. But um, why don't we start with uh, who Scott is and give us a, ourselves and our listener a bit of a bio for Odd Fellowship. Okay. Uh, well, my name is Scott Moy. I um, belong to Marshall Lodge number one in Marshall, Arkansas. I currently live in Little Rock, Arkansas, actually right behind the governor's mansion here. Um, I grew up in East Arkansas near Memphis, Tennessee on the, on the Arkansas side of the Mississippi river, uh, on a farm, uh, we grew cotton, wheat, uh, rice, soybeans, that sort of thing. And, uh, also had, uh, several head of cattle, which I, I really didn't enjoy as a child. The, the cattle thing was beyond me. Uh, I uh, got my degree and went and taught history in public schools, um, often known for 27 years. Uh, and I left teaching, and now I work at a history museum here in Little Rock, Arkansas, as a tour guide and researcher. Um, I've been an odd fellow for about seven years, uh, roughly, and uh, I was initiated into uh, Benton Lodge number 174 in Benton. And I now belong, to, of course, to uh, Marshall Lodge Number One in Marshall, Arkansas. I am a co-founder of Heart and Hand Blog. Um, one of the co-founders of that, and the other co-founder being Ainsley Heilig. I've written over a hundred articles for Heart and Hand, and now, of course, I've written the book "Think Like an Odd Fellow: Wisdom and Self Improvement in 21st Century Odd Fellowship." So that's a little bit of uh, the background there. Very thankful to get to be on modern goat rider thanks we're glad to have you sure. so uh, just a quick check in on the marshall lodge situation you'd mentioned yeah. pre-air that uh they meet monthly what membership size and kind of the vibe of their their odd fellowship okay uh i kind of think it's uh, probably one of the most active lodges in the state of arkansas right now they have probably around 20 20 members easily and it's a it's a small town in the middle of the of the Ozarks, and they are very involved in the schools. They're they're involved in uh, helping to organize parades. They also do charity work, which is kind of interesting to me. Uh, for instance, the last time I went to a meeting, they had um, a situation where local law enforcement had sent a request that someone needed help. And so they were able to deliver that help to that person. Local churches will contact the lodge and ask the lodge for help and the lodge will step in and also help. Uh, they like to pay people's bills on the side, you know, those sorts of things. So it was, they're just wonderful. They're a wonderful set of people and they work really hard uh, to, to really help their community up there. And it's really, uh, uh, it's just, it's great to work with them. 
Well, it sounds like um, one of the uh, aspects of uh, Terra and my definition of a successful lodge is that they are connected to the community and that the community is reaching to them instead of uh, always the other direction because nobody knows who the odd fellows or the odd fellow lodge is in town. That sounds yeah. really cool. Yeah, they yeah they really do. Uh, the the community there reaches out to them quite often actually for help, and they do what they can, you know. Um, and so that's really inspires me to kind of keep at it for sure. So why don't we get into the book? Uh, why don't you give us the the what is it? Uh, somebody's picking this book up off the bookshelf or the Amazon virtual shelf, and you're standing next to them, and you're going to tell them what the book's about. Okay. Well, the book is to sort of give Odd Fellows a philosophy of life almost. Now we've got that, but in order to get it, a lot of times you have to go back and you have to read those uh, writings that were done in the late 19th century. And as soon as I became an Odd Fellow, I went back and started reading those works. Now I'm a history guy. That's kind of what I do for a lip, not kind of, but that's what I do for a living now. And so when I got those original texts, I went into them and I was able to read them really quickly because I'm used to working with that language of the 19th century and even the 18th century. So I, I had no issues. However, I found a lot of odd fellows were put off uh, by those books. And so what I wanted to do is go into those books, pull out ideas that would be uh, applicable to the 21st century and pluck them out of uh, 18th and 19th century writings, put them into the 20th century and make them more relatable to Oddfellows today. And that is the essential crux of the book. Uh, and that's how it operates. Uh, so when you crack it open, you're gonna be dealing with things that were actually you know, part of Oddfellowship in the 1800s but I can translate them and make them more applicable to today. And so that's, that's what I did. So would you say then that even if you weren't um, partly an active odd fellow, um, that this book is still, that would capture your interest if you were um, well-seasoned or new or just a person off the street. It sounds like it's very universal in terms of its audience. Yeah, it is. It's, it's very universal. It, uh, anybody can pick this up and get something out of it. Odd Fellows will get something more deeply out of it. Uh, there, there are things in that that are written in into the book that are, I don't know, have deeper levels. And if you're an Odd Fellow, you'll get them where perhaps somebody else won't. But anybody on the street can actually pick this up and go through it and go, "Hey, uh, if this is what Odd Fellowship is about, I'm in." Um, and I, I think that was also part of my goal is to give people who. You know, you can go and you can look at certain websites and things like that that also give you an idea. This book goes a little bit deeper into uh, some uh, trying to create a philosophy of odd fellowship that's based on the older teachings. Those older, those older books uh, written by Joshua Kolaw or Beharrell, maybe uh, William Ford and Aaron Grosh, those older books were essentially self-help books anyway. When you get in there and you start reading them, that's what they were do. They were self-improvement, uh, self-transformation books. Uh, and they're not to be taken lightly. What they tell you in those books is not to be taken lightly. So that's, you know, by bringing that into the 21st century and putting them in a smaller book, condensing the language down, uh, makes it universal for sure. So you, you mentioned that you were interested in making sure that the old text was relatable. Yeah. Did you did you have anyone else who was mentioning the same thing or what was the the popular thought or is it just yours that you thought, hey, I could just do more with these old texts or were people asking you for it or asking about it? I had a number of people talk to me about wanting a deeper examination of the principles of odd fellowship. And so rather than invent that out of whole cloth, you know, just invent something, I thought it was much more important to go into the old stuff and identify uh, th those deep principles and then, and then sort of bring them out. I have stumbled across a couple of authors in the past who have taken older works 
and updated the language and stuff like that uh, to make them more viable for a 21st century audience. So this this idea is not is not new um, by any stretch. In fact, I just read another book uh, not too long ago uh, where a guy took some writings from uh, I think about 1920 and updated that language and did the exact same thing I did. But uh, I didn't really have anybody suggest to me directly that I should go into the older works and update the language at all. I just decided to do it. From a historian standpoint, that is really sort of a unique skill that a historian can have uh, is to be able to kind of help interpret that sort of thing. So I want to note that this book is uniquely written in its style format, I guess, uh, format more than style. And as a self-help book, it works really well. It's my starting into it. And as I said, I'm only in the teens, but uh, the book is 42 short essay sex sections, right? Yeah. And um, I'll just give my uh, ramble on, but my personal experience, but is I, f- I, I love the book. I find it really hard to read more than two <laughs> in one right. time sitting down because yeah. you, I'm an overthinker. So mm-hmm. like, let's just put it on the table. I, I think about everything. I can anal- go for a walk with my wife and she's like, oh, okay, enough of that. Um, yeah. But I, I love this book from that standpoint that it makes you stop and think. And that's the goal, I think. Is that the goal? Is yeah. to make you stop and think about this aspect and try to do something with it in your mind? Yeah, it's, it's, it's sort of designed to, um, I guess, shift paradigms to an extent to get you to see the world a bit differently. Um, And that's how you learn about things. When something sort of steps into your life and it's a new idea and it completely shifts the way you see another person uh, or the way you see uh, a situation that you've been dealing with and all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and it absolutely will shift the way that you see things. And that, that's the goal. Uh, I want to be able to turn on some lights when it comes to the golden rule. I want to be able to turn on some lights when uh, odd fellowships are, are confronted with uh, the, the oppression that comes with poverty, because that's, that's our job. We're supposed to try to help alleviate people who are in distress. Um, and I discovered that when I taught, when, when I was teaching high school, if I could hit students with, a, with an idea that would get them to see things different, and if that could happen in, in the snap of a finger, it had a tendency to stay a little bit longer. But the book is also designed to get you to think deeply, um, to, to contemplate things. Uh, I think Oddfellows are worth that, you know? So if you were reading your book and you yeah. read the description that... Um refers to some authors from older Oddfellows texts and then says it takes these folks and puts them in um, uh, social science, uh, philosophy, ethics, under these sort of modern umbrellas. Are you drawing parallels with maybe um, either some books or some scenarios that some people would be familiar with? I'm thinking of the old like trolley dilemma and ethics and you're nodding so you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, to an extent, um, you know, things like yeah, that. there are applied ethics. If you're asking, yeah, there's applied ethics in the book. Um, boy, that was a good question right there. I didn't get all the first of it, but yes, uh, like the old trolley problem, although that's not in the book, but there um, I've even got, um, I mentioned uh, Plato's cave. Right, great. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Plato's cave is mentioned in there. I was trying to think of something else off the top of my head, uh, but Yes, uh, there, there is applied ethics in there. Um, and again, even though today we would call it applied ethics, I'm not sure what they would have called it in the 19th century. But that stuff is actually in those old writings, um, not, uh, not ethical problems necessarily, but how you deal with these ethical problems and the way that odd fellows were taught to deal with them early on. So absolutely. So, you know, I've got Plato's cave in there. I wish I could think of something else off the top of my head, but you know, I can't right now, but it's there, there are a number of those things. Clearly the, the golden rule is going to be one of those uh, clearly learning about how 
poverty works and hunger works is 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 also you know uh, how lodges need to deal with that and how you need to deal with that on a one one by one you know personal basis as well so absolutely so i'm reading uh, gosh i hope it's in this book <laughs> sorry crossing <laughs> crossing books a little too much these days no, I understand. um but uh no it is uh number uh, section nine page 31 is is coming to know yourself why is that there um my i think i have a reason why it's nine out of the 42 um but what what was your premise of putting these pieces together because i find that chapter nine um could almost be your introduction kind of thing it's it's kind of what you're about to read is um but so what was your planning or execution of the style of the book and and sorry the order of the uh topics you know i gave that some thought um how i wanted the book to kind of unfold um do you know did i did i want one chapter before it to build on the chapter after it or the chapter at, you know, and, and where all the chapters sort of build on one another and so forth. And I wrestled with that. And that would be the uh, ex teacher in me wrestling with that because that's called scaffolding in education, at least in the U S I'm not sure how they do that in in Canada, but we call it scaffolding where knowledge is built on uh, what came before what I, I didn't necessarily do that all the way through the book. I didn't start at like uh, the first essay, if you will, and build everything one essay at a time on top of itself. There may be uh, a single essay that doesn't have anything to do with the essays around it. Uh, Like chapter nine may not have anything to do with uh, chapter eight or chapter 10 or anything like that. So I just sort of laid them out and looked at them and put them together that way. If you're as you go through the book, you will begin as you get, like I would say about two thirds of the way, you will begin to pick up that there is, that there are threads that run through the book. Um, But I'm gonna kind of leave that up to the person, but I can identify the threads and I'm not the sharpest uh, knife in the drawer. But even when I get up to about uh, two thirds of the way through, I begin to see threads going through the book that continuously sort of pop up uh, and, you know, we'll do that. But as far as like one chapter specifically building on another and going through, uh, I didn't do it that way. Now, if you wanted the full experience of mm-hmm. reading your book as a, as a sort of a gateway to some of these older texts, um, is your book referenced in um, like, is it cited? So if I read a chapter and I really liked it, you're referring to author X from some uh, an older um, book is it I can backtrack and do my own reading if I wanted to read the original text is it cited that way no it's not there's a bibliography bibliography okay. I've always had trouble with that word <clears throat> there's a, there's a bibliography at the back so you okay. can go back there and you can look at at my sources there are only a couple of times I didn't list some sources if it referred to ritual I'll sort of leave that there um hmm. Most odd fellows would kind of read between the lines there. And I didn't want that in the back of, of the book. The reason you can't read a chapter and uh, at the end of the chapter, there'd be footnotes or anything like that is because what ended up happening is I would lay out or bring up on screens um, several of these uh, books like uh you know, a book written by Beharrell, Ford or Cola or Grosh. And I would kind of lay those out and I would go through and I might construct, let's say, let's say chapter nine, I might construct a paragraph in chapter nine using single sentences from three different sources to construct that paragraph. Okay. Um, and, And once I construct that paragraph, the next paragraph might be something that I found in a modern source to back that paragraph up. And so, and again, those modern sources are in the bibliography back there. And so sometimes I would lift an entire paragraph out of one of the works. And there might be a, a chapter that has four or five paragraphs from each of the, each of the different works from the 19th century, early 18th century. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of uh constructed that way so that I'm pulling out only the important 
not, yeah, mostly the important stuff out of those 19th century works uh, for use today. It's really essential to base this sort of stuff on those old works. You cannot construct something like this out of what you want to do. You know, you can't, you can't sit down and do this. We, we have traditions in the order and you have to follow those and build on those. So I was very conscious of that. But it sounds like it's going to be that you found this nice balance where you've married um, the proper, you know, reference and you're talking about how you might use two or three texts to construct a paragraph. Yeah. But, but it's not reading um, like a research essay. No. Where you're saying like per Ford page, you know what I mean? And then I need to look yeah. at the bottom of the page to find the citation. So I, the, for maybe a more casual reader, the flow is... Yes. US, and it's not necessarily being truncated by some of these academic references. Not at all. And this is not an academic work. It is. I mean, you can actually use this book for separate readings. You can if you can start today and pick up the first chapter if you want. Read it. Tomorrow you can read chapter two and tomorrow you can read chapter three. And I find myself doing this, which is kind of weird. It's like, um, I'll pick it up sometimes and just read a chapter. And it's not that I'm reading my own work because so much of this comes from the work before that these, these earlier um, odd fellow authors did. And, but you can literally use this as something to read one thing a day to kind of help, you know, immerse yourself more in odd fellowship uh, and what odd fellowship is about for 42 days if you wanted to do that. So there's nothing academic about it. It's uh, designed to be easy to read, quick to read. Uh, it's not a long book. I think it's about 173 pages along with some quotations at the end. Uh, the chapters are mostly quite short. Uh, I don't remember what the longest chapter is, but it wouldn't probably be you know eight pages or something. I don't know, it wouldn't be much more than that. A lot of the pages, a lot of the chapters are a page and a half. Uh, and there just wasn't, again, I'm condensing it down and trying to make it easy for any odd fellow to put in a, a briefcase. You can read it at the coffee house. If you want to do that, uh, you can throw it in the tackle box. You can read it on the deer stand. Uh, you can read it on, <laughs> you can read it on the, uh, you can read it on the, uh, airplane. If you want to do that, there are other places you could read it, but there's not, you know, I don't want to say all that for sure, but Yeah. So you'll have to do edition two, which is the pocket version. Yes, the pocket. <laughs> right? Yeah. Who it's wrote the, the pocket version? Was it matchbook pocket version size of the somebody yeah. writes the pocket book companion? The Oddfellows Companion is the pocket book one. Is that it? Yeah. Actually, um, it was let's see, what was that called? I know what you're talking about. The Oddfellows Companion, I believe, is the one that, yeah, it is. Yeah, the Oddfellows Pocket Companion. And that's what gave me the idea for this book. Um, and, uh, the way I wanted to approach this one. And like I said, you know, you don't have to carry this big volume around, uh, with you. Um, uh, actually my pocket companion, um, I've still got around here somewhere and just kind of wore it out. I think they're covered in leather, you know, and so the leather. So it was something I, uh, so our chaplain in Columbia number two is a very interesting uh, character person in the, who roams the earth, let's just say. Yeah. Um, and uh, he has a open-minded philosophy on things and he is curious. And he and I've had a couple uh, coffees together discussing what is odd fellowship? Because when he goes up to um, present, he sure. does more than just read a blessing or whatever is going on or uh, that's happening as sort of the, the standard stuff he he does a bit of a homily um they call it the the bramble ramble it's his last name, <laughs> ramble um but he would be somebody i think who would just take this book as the chaplain and go and say all right i just need i need 24 seconds or 30 more seconds to add to an important message for today's meeting sure. and it'd be a paragraph out of this book and i think it's it the, the book is super interesting to me because I think it should be in a pocket form because I think we should be saying, okay, everybody, you can just put this literally in your pocket. <laughs> um, and it's just there to pull out and go, oh, I'm waiting at the bus stop, like you've, like you've described. Yeah, absolutely. 
So what is the takeaway for you as the author of this book? What, what is your, okay, when, when I hear somebody say this about my book, it makes my heart glow more than just saying they enjoyed the book. What would that be if somebody said that? I think what would make my heart glow is that it means something to them, that it opened their heart, uh, that it opened their mind, that they were put in a way to think about helping others in a way that really, I don't know, just kind of made their heart melt inside and that they came to know themselves a bit more. And I think, you know, if somebody came up and told me that it would, you know, I'd probably have to buy them a beer or something because that would just be the most precious thing to me is that it actually helped people see that they can help other people, that they can be there for other people, um, that they can love and care for other people and um, make other people's lives a little easier. Uh, They can work in their community and improve their community. That's an act of love. And we talk about friendship, love, and truth, building better communities for people, being sure they have clean drinking water and uh, being sure that they uh, have good, decent streets and, and uh, uh, places and parks. And that's all, you know, creating a society is an act of love uh, for humanity. And so if, if it made people think that way more, that makes me feel good. And that, I guess that would be my answer there. Yeah. My last question is why is, you may have answered this, but why is Oddfellow philosophy important? And the second part of the question is why don't enough people and do enough people know about it? I'll go, I think I'll just answer the second part. I think there's just not enough information out there that people want to pick up and, and read And again, so much of it was trapped in that old work, you know, those old, old books. And the reason I think that is that when Ainsley and I started Heart and Hand blog, we were hoping to get, I don't know, I think, I think we said if we could just get 12, 12 hits a month, uh, we would, uh, we would, we would consider it a success. The last time I checked, we were at 60,000 views and a hundred and, uh, 109 countries. And that blog is full of the philosophy of odd fellowship. So putting it in book form as well, where you can carry it with you, I think is, is, uh, is important. I think people find what they find on the blog important. I think people will find what they find in the book important. The philosophy of odd fellowship is uh, absolutely applicable to today's society. In fact, probably more so uh, based upon some of the things going on. And uh, so, you know, a lot of, if you're asking me why a non-odd fellow doesn't know more about it, I don't know if I can answer that or not. Uh, But hopefully between the blog, some of the other books that are coming out, I mean, there are, I don't know how many books we've got out, other odd fellows have written recently that are out that touch on the history of odd fellowship and inside those books on the history of odd fellowship, we also find a bit about the philosophy of odd fellowship. So we have a lot of things being produced right now by Odd Fellows that are about the order, that are about the philosophy of Odd Fellowship, what we do, uh, and uh, you know, to try to create a better world for people. And I, I just think that's the important thing. So I, I don't know if I can answer about why people don't know more about the philosophy of Odd Fellowship. I think that's great. I mean, I... Uh... A lot to unpack, I think, in today's conversation. So I, I appreciate that you've taken the time to write this book. I think it's adding a lot of value um, to the blog because, as you mentioned, you know, I'm I like paper, and especially for something that I'm thinking about, it's nice to be able to take something with you a bit more so than off a screen, or, you know, your phone or, or otherwise. So yeah, um, I know a number of folks from our lodge have ordered the book. And we look forward to making that a resource uh, so. to our yeah. members as well. Yeah, thank you. I think we're going to have a uh, an audio book um, of the book, um, you know, an audio of the book coming up pretty soon as well. Um, we're we're working on that. It may take a while or whatever, but uh, we're we're working toward that. And I'm 
I'm thinking about doing another book. Um, I just enjoy writing. It, it gets me, you know, out of the house, so to speak. I can't write it here at the house. I always have to go to a local coffee shop or library, or um, we've got a farm up in Northeast Arkansas. So sometimes I go up there and write as well. So. Well, if you, for the audiobook, if you want to make it a, a multi-lodge uh, series of speakers, um, the two gentlemen who did our intros both have glorious voices. Stu, yeah. Goody, Stu Brown uh, had uh, aspirations of voiceover work. And then John Goody have, they both uh, have their dulcet tones to their voices. So if you feel like <laughs> more than one contributor and putting their might, names forward. Yeah, I might be able to do that for sure. I, I yeah, I, I think, I think it would, you know, it'd be another one of those things that would make it a little bit more available um, to people. Uh, and I just think that would be a, an, an excellent move to do as well. I mean, and then next, of course, a movie, we'll have to do a movie <laughs> and uh, Clearly. Broadway. Yes. Broadway. <laughs> Cecil B. the odd fellow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so on heart and hand, we'll swing over to uh, the other topic. One of the things that I was going to play around with, I'll just go back to the book was I was going to shoot odd fellow. I was going to shoot scenarios at you. No dear. Similar to the trolley, but, uh, you know, and see how an odd fellow should, you know, address the situation or think, but we won't do that. We'll let everybody enjoy their own, the book and uh, come up with their own. Okay, okay. What I did, what I did yesterday, how would an odd fellow do this? And, and it's actually something that I kind of learned um, after my degrees is, you know, odd fellows has such a philosophy that other orders don't have. Well, right. there oh, is yes. one with, with 32, 64 different levels of philosophy. But in ours, um, if you see where people are headed and where the order might go, yeah. it's to say, that's not important. Once you get in, once you get FLT, you've drank enough Kool-Aid, you're on your way. Yeah. But this is a really rich picture of Kool-Aid that you can dive into. And when I dove into um, the manual, grow, uh, uh, Aaron Gross's. Aaron Gross, Gro yeah. Gross's. Um, I was like, holy smokes, like, what am I really getting into here? But it was, it's heavy in, in a way. That's it's oh, heavy yeah. reading and stuff. And but it it doesn't read like a self-help book. And so this this is making the difference that coming up with a new format. Absolutely. And it is heavy reading. You almost have to be an, an English major. I'm not knocking English majors at all. I'm not, but, or a history major to be able to get through those books. So the, the second topic is about uh, a blog post that you made. You, you told us that you did one uh, on the topic of the funeral ceremony. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, a few, a, a number of shows back uh, there on modern goat rider, we did a interview with, two odd fellow members that are funeral uh, service provider directors. Wow. And they, uh, they were excellent in their presentation of kind of how um, funeral services were working in COVID and how they provide, you know, service as, as it's no longer just a ceremony. It's not just a, a, a final life, a stage of life process. Um, it is a lot more about preparation and, and so forth. Yeah. One of the things that we didn't get to is, is because they aren't familiar with the odd fellow ceremony of the funeral ceremony. So one of the great things I know about odd fellows is there's a ceremony for that. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's a ceremony somebody, for everything. You know, it's like somebody yeah. said something, you know what we should do? There's a ceremony for yeah. that. Don't yeah, worry. We got it. I bought a new pair of shoes today. Well, there's a ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. How yeah, to christen absolutely. these shoes. Uh, so tell us about your uh, odd fellows. Oh, sorry. The heart and hand blog post on funeral service. Well, um, I, I, if, if you're into research, you can go to a, a website called archive.org and just type in odd fellows into the search bar and you're going to get so much stuff. And so I was uh, on that site and I stumbled across uh, the Odd Fellows uh, funeral ceremony for, um, I assume it was about 1880. That's when the book came out. So we'll, we'll go with 1880. And I started reading through that and I thought, okay, this is going to be a cool, you know, it's going to be a cool blog post. And I 
went through it and I only focused on the parade procession. Like they had funeral parades then. Uh, if, if a member died, uh, the tradition was that the Oddfellow Lodge would march in the funeral parade of the person who had, who had passed away. And we kind of have to be careful with that because that may not have, you know, gone over in every lodge or whatever, but um, that that's what they tried to do is, is in that we have to remember that in, you know, prior to the 20th century um, and that's a general term also that most people died at home. Uh, They would have been um, embalmed at home if embalming, uh, I don't think they really did that necessarily, but they would have been laid out at home. That's what they called it in Arkansas. It's probably a, a fairly common term. And the funeral often would be at home. And then you would uh, take the deceased. Uh, they would be loaded up into a wagon or into a hearse or whatever, and you would proceed to the cemetery. And uh, the Odd Fellows participated in that. Uh, the person would would pass away at home. They would come to the home and and uh, lay the body out that would involve, you know, various things, cleaning it, dressing it, et cetera. And um, the funeral parade itself was just really interesting in the way that it was arranged. And I think that that's what got my attention. Uh, Everybody from the lodge would precede the deceased to the cemetery and they would uh, walk in uh, ranks of twos or ranks of fours. They had musicians if they could get them, sometimes just a, a drum, if that's all they had, or a drum and fife or a small brass band or whatever. And uh, they would uh, help you know, lead the deceased to the cemetery. And that's sort of it. But it was a real cool blog post, I thought, to get in and sort of dissect that funeral procession. Once they got to the cemetery, uh, there were speeches, uh, there were some prayers and things like that. Now, I didn't get into that. I didn't dissect that part of the of the funeral ceremony myself. I just focused only on the parade part. So it's changed quite a bit, of oh, course, yeah. um, because uh, the procession is different. And the procession now is into the hall. I guess if you were having a service at a ceremony at the hall, you could have your, um, you could have your funeral service at a lodge hall mm-hmm. and they have a pro- procession for every type of member. If you're just a subordinate lodge member, or if you're an encampment or if you're in, like, it's a very extensive <laughs> list of variations of parading. Um, yeah. but, uh, the things that people see, uh, on eBay with the, the badge, uh, that's something that's always been around, right? The, um, the memorial badge on one side, which is black, and then the red parade bla- badge is quite often red or purple for encampment mm-hmm. um, on the other side. And, uh, and then there's other things that are new, like the, uh, the rosette, the black rosette. With rosette, the, yeah. Yeah, with the color of the, the last uh, degree in the, the middle, degree. and you would have that, and you would you would be possessing that as your funeral rosette, and all these things. And so mm-hmm. the ceremony is is quite extensive when it comes to doing everything under the 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 the, the right way, I guess. Yeah. So when it so you didn't dissect the the ceremony, right? That, but you're yeah, familiar like with the ceremony. Right. Yeah, I'm familiar with it, but I, I have yet to see it you know, done in modern times. Um, I, right. I, you know, I, it would be a, a completely different form, I'm sure. Um, but there are a few, um, I think I found a, a video from Ontario that actually had a bit of, uh, of a funeral procession, Oddfellows funeral procession in it. Um, and I think I've found a couple more here in the States that have the funeral procession in it. But it's, you know, there's not enough there to really kind of put anything together about how it, for sure, how it would have worked or what it would have looked like. One of the things I recall from your post is a mention about the scene supporters being involved. Yeah, I checked. I didn't catch that for a while when I was kind of going through it. Um, 
And I checked with a, a, a couple of other odd fellows that had been odd fellows for a while and brought this up also. This, the, in the funeral parade, it starts off with the, like if you're going down the street, you have the music, then you have the, the marshal of the parade, the outside guardian, um, and uh, an escort with a banner. And then you have the scene supporters, which is really strange. It, it caught my eye. And the only time in, in ritual that I could find this, the official use of the scene supporters was in the initiatory degree. And when I, when I saw that, I, I got in touch with some other odd fellows and I was like, so what's up with that? You know, I mean, we, we have other degrees, but I, I didn't see it anywhere and they didn't either. And, and they didn't have any answers. So it kind of made me begin to think that this procession and that an odd fellow's funeral was essentially initiating the deceased into a better world. It was a higher degree, if you will, um, because if the scene supporters are only found in the initiatory degree, and they're also found in the parade procession. Uh, that kind of made me question if that's not what was going on. What happened to me about three days ago was a really interesting conversation I had at work with a colleague who uh, was uh, in a sorority. And we were talking about this, uh, uh, this, this blog article. And she says, well, that's really strange. And I'm like, why? And she said, well, in our sorority, if a sorority sister passes away, we actually have a degree ceremony <laughs> and they're essentially initiated into the afterlife. Um, now, after I picked myself up off the floor, I was like, well, that's kind of interesting. Uh, who else does that? Uh, so there may be some little something going on there that really opens up a whole new, I don't know, set of questions about uh, fraternities as a whole and the roles that they played in, in uh, death, I guess, uh, and in, in funerals and funeral ceremonies, uh, maybe leading to something, you know, ways of thinking about death that are much more ancient than, than maybe we thought. And in, I'm in no way in, implying that Oddfellows is an ancient order. I'm not, not at all. It's not. But mm -hmm. maybe there were just certain ideas that they, you know, found or whatever and, and incorporated them in, but it does sort of bespeak, uh, I don't know, uh, something a bit, a bit older, uh, a bit more, a bit older view of death perhaps, uh, than we might've thought originally. Uh, and so now I'm sort of interested in how other fraternities, might deal with these funeral ceremonies and see, I don't, I don't know anything much about other fraternities other than odd fellows. So I was hopeful that the scene supporters would actually say something just oh, as the... nice and, and important as they do in initiatory. Mm -hmm. um, so um, there's no wedding ceremony. No, that's the one thing I don't think there is an odd fellows wedding ceremony. Well, that's interesting. <laughs> is there a divorce ceremony? I mean, it's just... <laughs> um, well, there's a building christening. There's an yeah. anniversary. There's a funeral. There's um, I don't know if there's one for. There used to be something called the grandfather degree. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that is uh, something I, I don't know what it means. It was in a newspaper article in Victoria that the odd fellows were performing the grandfather degree. Um, oh, I don't know so if it cool. was a if it was just a fun one or. Yeah, um, uh, there's the uh, this there's a Hercules one that's a uh, it's again, it's a general kind of a. I guess a Muscovite type degree that is right. done. It's for a play. They do it as a play. So it's similar to Muscovite. Um, but there should be a wedding one. I think there should be a wet as the odd fellows should figure out if they're going to commit to degrees and stuff like that. We get Michael and Linnea or somebody to write a, a, a wedding ceremony. I'm going to jump the broom. You got to, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I don't know. That that would be kind of cool too. Yeah. Some sort of, some sort of degree like that. I, I just hadn't even thought about that, but you're right. I mean, you, you, you could go a long way, you know, coming up with different uh, ceremonies for different things and stir up all kinds of trouble. Yeah. Probably more than that. Yeah. So um, why don't we give the uh, heart and hand one more plug and give us the website and, um, and then. Okay. Uh, well, check out heart and hand. Uh, blog uh, that's at oddfellowsguide.com and you'll find lots of articles there about odd fellowship and if you're not an odd fellow uh, that's a great place to start online um, also uh, buy the book uh, think like an odd fellow wisdom and self-improvement in 21st century odd fellowship you can find it on um, amazon you can just do a search for odd fellows books on amazon and it'll pop up i think it's one of the first books to pop up right now as far as odd fellowship is concerned so uh, buy the book and um, see what you can learn about Odd Fellowship if you're not sure about it. And we'd love to have you if you're not a member. If you are a member, uh, keep fighting the good fight. And if you're a member who uh, hasn't been to Lodge in a while, come on back. We need you. That's great. Congratulations on the book. I didn't say that at the start. Um, and thanks very much, Scott. Yeah, it's been great. All right. Thanks, uh, Tara and Billy. Uh, have a good evening and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Okay. So well, that'll do it for us. Uh, Tara and I will be back again soon, making more Odd Fellows discoveries and seeing the Odd Fellowship all around us. And we want to thank my personal supreme being, Ms. Aretha Franklin, for her opening today. Cheers, NFLT. can see clearly now the rain is gone I can see all obstacles in my way Gone are the dark clouds that had me blind It's gonna be a gonna be